the blast from our past network. Are you ready? Who are you? I am the Borg. That is a contradiction. The Borg have a collective consciousness. There are no individuals. I am the beginning, the end, the one who is many. Talking Back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back. This is the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. And we're getting back into the Star Trek movie franchise this week with the eighth movie. And it is called First Contact. I got to get Dean in here. I'm going to beam Dean in. Hold on. Let me get my communicator out. Dean, are you ready to beam yes. in to the studio? Yes. Okay. Tim, I'm I'm ready. Energize. I'm here. I made it. <laughs> you made it. Good. Good beam, Tim. Good beaming. Oh, it wasn't it me. It was great. I didn't do it. it oh. uh, the, oh. guy, the guy who beams people did it. Oh, good beaming. I uh, just sir. shout orders out. It was Brian. Excellent. Brian Excellent beamed work. you in. Good beaming, Brian. Excellent work. <laughs> Excellent work. It, it, it worked this time. <laughs> yeah, this time. Yeah, it worked. Worked this time. Your, your pants are on this time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Captain, for uh, allowing me on board. Uh, mission complete. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a different franchise, Tim. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, shoot. Um, yeah. Uh, you know what I've realized about us here at Talking Back? Oh, but nice to see you, Dean. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Nice to see you too. I- I've realized we really like to take our time walking through series. Yeah, for sure. We don't like to say goodbye, and we just take as long as we possibly can to go through them. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was thinking um, that at one point on this show I I tried to say that I was a I was a Trekkie, and we might maybe it's because we did like two movies in a row or something. But I feel far from a Trekkie now because it's it's been so long since we've done these movies. We just really stretch it out, and uh, yeah, I I love every time we do it. But I definitely do not feel like a Trekkie, Tim. It was years ago you called yourself a Trekkie. It was years. It was actually years ago. So here's the funny thing is yeah. we came out of the gate swinging, though, with the Jaws franchise. Yeah, we did yeah, all true. four in a row, and we actually released them all in the same week. We had our own shark wow, week. crazy. We're like, let's do franchises as fast as we yeah. can. And then 
it turned into let's do one now and then let's do one several years from now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's just where we're at. And I'm okay with it. Oh, yeah. I'm fine with it. We just enjoy them so much. We never want them to end. That is something that I, that, that is a characteristic of me is that I, I don't want, I don't like when things end. So I try to stretch them out, drag it out. Um, so that, this is fine. This works for me. Cause you know what, Tim, when we get to the end, I'm going to be sad. I know. So today I don't have to be sad cause we're not at the end yet. No, exactly. We might never get to the end. <laughs> I'll never be sad. You think, you think I've got uh, deadly class? the final volume of Deadly Class dialed up anytime soon? We're nope. so close. Nope. We're so close. Nope. Gonna hold on to that as long as I can. This <laughs> franchise, though, we still have a few movies left. So I figured yeah. we could throw this one in. We can do First Contact. For sure. I can't say First Contact without singing that Bruce Coburn song. Do you know it? Uh, no, lay, lay it on me, Making Tim. contact, making contact, making contact. Don't know making it. Making contact. No. <laughs> no, is there any more words or just that? Uh, I hear the drumming of the surf and I have to dance. Okay, okay. I don't know it. No? I feel, no. I feel so huge. I feel so small. No, not ringing any bells? No, nothing. Got nothing. Swimming in the ocean of love. No? It sounds great. None of this is ringing a bell? No. Wait, was that playing on the jukebox in this movie? (laughs) Maybe. It should have been. Yeah. Was James Cromwell dancing to that song in this movie? I doubt it, but he should have been. Oh, okay. He should have been. I'm sure if you heard the song, you'll, you'll know it. The singing was beautiful. I doubt that very much, but... (laughs) <laughs> I, I love this movie. I'm going to go out on a limb, Dean, and say that you enjoyed this movie very much. Is this correct? How did you know? Um, because I would say that this is one of the better entries in this series. Yeah, I would say I enjoyed it very much. And you, yeah. you were uh, really jiving with our Next Generation friends last movie. Yeah. And they really bring it in this movie. So... I thought, without talking to you, that you might really be into this one. You are correct, Tim. I was really into this one. Yes, Def the crew was great. I got back with this crew that I loved, and everyone was uh, everyone was doing it for me. Everyone was great. All the characters were great, um, and a fun plot. Swimming in an ocean of love. And I also love that song. No, hey? Um, no. I would say, more so than any... Star Trek movie we've seen. This one feels like an episode of the show on the big screen. Ooh, okay, cool. That's my take on this one. Yeah, yeah, fun. Now, synopsis, the Borg. That's how you start a synopsis, by the way. You want to get people interested in watching a movie, you start it with the Borg. Yeah. The Borg travel back in time, intent on preventing Earth's first contact with an alien species. Cool. Oh, time travel, you say? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, oh, this podcast enjoys time travel. Thank you very much. Uh, just a little bit. This movie was released in 1996 with a budget of $45 million, and it grosses $146 million. So, boom, pretty successful Good. movie. 
Good job. Looks great. What a great looking oh, movie. Oh my goodness. It had a $10 million higher budget than Generations, and they put it all into the special effects. Yeah, you see it. You see it for sure. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, 146 is about $30 million more than Generations made, so... Yeah, it's, this this oh, did well. Great. Yeah, yeah, awesome. This was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Makeup. Dean. Really? Yeah, what movie did it lose to, Dean? I'm going to give you a hint. In what What did you say the year was? Uh, this movie came out in 96, so it would have been the Academy Awards of 1997. Best Makeup. Dean, I'm going yeah. to give you a hint. Okay. Okay. Allergy Instructor. Allergy instructor. This is this is isn't a hint. This is a riddle. Yeah, it's a riddle. Uh, I'm not good at riddles. It's a comedy that wasn't very funny. Allergy instructor. Everyone out there screaming. Nobody is. This is a tough one. I was trying to find clues and riddles that I could give you without completely giving it away. The Naughty Professor. You got it. You got it. Nice one. Yes. Thank you. Good riddle. Directed by number one himself, Jonathan Frakes. Oh, really? Yes. This would be his first venture in the director's chair for a motion picture, but he had already directed several episodes of Next Generation, DS9, and Voyager. So he he knew his way around the bridge. Okay. Cool. In the director role. I did... I did just watch this movie, and I do watch the credits, and I did see his name pop up twice during the credits, but I just did not connect that at all. That's okay. There's uh, some great memes out there, if you want to look into it, about him. Like He's always got his leg up on a console or a table, and oh, his, that's his crotch like right near someone's head. That's awesome. There's lots of memes out there. Anybody, uh, he's got that kind of energy. Yeah. Anybody who's interested in checking those out, uh, I would say do it. Yeah. Check it out. Go for it. Live a little. Yeah. Like checking it out, not like putting your crotch in people's faces, right? No, no, but like look for the memes. Look for the memes. Yeah. Okay. Written by Brannon Braga and Ronald D. Moore. I probably mentioned this when we covered Generations, Dean. If you see the names Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore appear at the start of an episode, the episode is going to rule. Awesome. Okay, They are A-plus Star Trek writers. I would say that held very true in this movie. Yep. Um, I just find that the two of them do a really good job of injecting heart and personal struggle into their stories. There's always yeah, something totally. like so human about the story that they're trying to tell. It's, it's really good. Yep. Yep. That's what's like, that's what I'd say really stood out in these last two for sure, um, specifically. So yeah, if they if they were on both these, I, I totally get that. Yep, the only two they were on. Oh, okay. Now music by Jerry Goldsmith, one of the all time greats. I'm not sure if you've heard of a small movie called Alien Dean. Heard of it? I don't know if you know about that one. Uh, Jerry also did classics like Gremlins, Rambo First Blood, Inner Space, Planet of the Apes, Total Recall, and more. Yep. Cinematography by Matthew F. Leonetti. 
I wasn't really familiar with this guy until I looked up his filmography, and then I realized, oh, he's done several movies that I have actually seen. He's done Poltergeist, Weird Science, Commando, Hard to Kill, Strange Days. Man, that's a movie I need to revisit. Oh, yeah. yeah Mortal same. Kombat Annihilation, Dawn of the Dead, and others. He's got some credits. Yeah, he's got some, he's got some cred, all right. Now... Our cast, it's the classic group of next generation friends that we know and love, but there's a few new additions. There's an Alfre Woodard who plays Lily, who put in, my goodness, an inspired performance. I was very impressed with her. Alfre Woodard is awesome. She's great. And when she's in movies now, she looks exactly like she did in this movie. Like she still looks fucking great today. She's timeless. Yeah. James Cromwell as Zephram Cochran, a fairly silly but memorable character. Yeah, weird. I would say this is a <laughs> this is a weird character. It's because he's drunk he's drunk the whole time, that's why. But I wouldn't yeah. say he knows how to act drunk all that well. I know. I like I was watching it and I was like, wait, is James Cromwell even good? <laughs> like, is he a good actor? I don't get this. It's tough to say in this one. Are we just watching his worst performance? I felt like Maybe. I thought he was a good actor. Been, yeah. Yeah. And we have Alice Krieg as the Borg Queen, one of the shining performances in the movie. I love her so much. I first saw her way back in 92 when she did Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. I've loved her ever since. Uh, She would go on to portray the Borg Queen in Star Trek Voyager as well. So uh, she really nailed the role. Excellent. Yeah, excellent role. Uh, Really loved her. Now, Dean, I would have to say that this movie narrowly avoided disaster because the first draft of the script was titled Star Trek Renaissance, and it had the crew of the Enterprise track the Borg to their hive in a castle dungeon in 15th century Italy. The film would feature sword fights, and Data would become Leonardo da Vinci's apprentice. (laughs) Luckily, Ronald D. Moore didn't think it was worth the risk to go that route, and Patrick Stewart refused to wear tights. Great. So we dodged a bullet or a phaser blast or a photon torpedo. It seems like a dodge. There's certain things where when you picture, you know, some things where you want the Star Trek crew to be a part of and it's fun. Some things, when you picture them a part of it, it's like, that's just not going to work. That's not going to work on the screen. No. I'm not sure Castle in Tights is going to work on the screen. It feels like one of the producers saw Generations and was like, hey, yeah. that boat scene at the beginning Great on the stuff. holodeck, what if we turned that into the entire movie? Well, <laughs> I would say that was a fun scene. And no, I don't think that would work for more than the five minutes that it was there for. Yeah. Definitely. That scene is fun in the movie, but just like because you're like, what a group of dorks these <laughs> these this crew is. Exactly. You know, there's such a group of dorks. And then it's kind of endearing. But if it's a whole move a whole dorky movie, I don't know about that. Oh, it's it's such a dorky scene. <laughs> I'm just uncomfortable the whole time watching it. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. What a great opening to that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, this movie starts out with the classic Star Trek theme. Uh I got goosebumps this time watching it. Just every time that theme comes in, yeah, I love it. You know, it is so good and so well utilized. Um, 
Same with me, Tim, when it kicked. I mean, maybe it's because it's been so long since we watched the last one. But as soon as it kicks in, I'm just like, oh, yeah, ready to go. Love these types of movies. Yeah. And it it's like memorable because of all the nostalgia I, I have for that theme song. But yeah. also it means for the next hour and 50 minutes, I'm going to watch this exciting Star Trek movie. And uh, it's just great. Just great to hear. Yep. Then the movie moves into a beautiful Jerry Goldsmith score as the opening credits come on screen with nothing else happening, which Star Trek loves to do. And as of 96, when this movie came out, they still can't let go of that opening. Mm, yeah. Although they did speed it up a bit, which was nice, but they still have to just yeah, have yeah. names. It's just names. Just names floating by. We see Jean-Luc Picard in a Borg vessel. And the first thing that I took notice of in this movie, Dean, was how incredible the Blu-ray transfer looked. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. This was yeah. this was a way better transfer than what we've seen so far. Uh, agreed. This like yeah, this one just looked amazing. Looked looked the best that we've seen so far. Um right at the start. I'm very confused, Tim, because I, I let's let's right. let's start it off with this. I don't know what the Borg are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that is. I'm a, I want to learn. I'm about to learn what the Borg are, but I have no idea what's going on at the beginning of this movie. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. Exactly. So the Borg were in a few episodes of Next Generation. This is a quick flashback to remind you about what happened. And that was that Jean-Luc Picard was assimilated by the Borg. He became a Borg. And it was like in an attempt to work with them. It yeah. was kind of like, a, what if we tried this, Borg? Yeah. And it didn't work. But okay, that gives him this intimate knowledge of the Borg. And that's all that they were showing. So basically, if yeah. you want Borg 101 here really quick, they live in the Delta Quadrant, which is the complete other side of the universe or whatever from where like Starfleet is. So they don't really encounter okay. the Borg. Yeah. They encounter them in Next Generation from uh, Q, who's like this godlike character and can just do whatever he wants. And he like snap, he snaps his fingers and, and shit happens like Thanos. And he snapped his fingers and put a bunch of Borg on the Enterprise in Next Generation uh, just to see okay. how Enterprise okay. would react. Okay. But then, like, that alerted the Borg to the presence of these people, right? Like, they, they took that with them. Right. And, yeah. you know, Enterprise had a few confrontations with the Borg. The Borg, there's, like, they, they basically just go planet to planet, uh, assimilating the planets. And they just, they take... Yeah. So there's, like, there's billions and billions and billions of them. There's so... They have so many numbers. They're super technologically advanced. They're super powerful. Um, but they live really far away. So Okay, okay. But what they Got were it. able to do in this movie was a little bit of time travel. Yeah, fun, fun. But what what else can I tell you about the Borg? Resistance um, is futile. Resistance is futile. They inject you with yeah. with uh, nanoprobes, they're called, which is okay. microscopic okay. Um, like machines that take yeah, over yeah. your body, and that's how they get the mm. machine parts on you. And then like once they inject okay, cool. you, you become Borg. You are Borg. Okay. And you're just gone. You're like, you're basically gone. You're part of, they have one collective consciousness. Yeah. Consciousness. Right, right, yeah. So they all like speak in unison and they communicate all at the same time. Uh, lots of cool. We could do an entire episode on the Borg, but yeah, that's probably enough for now. So Picard gets a message that the Borg have attacked and are on their way to Earth. 
But Enterprise has been ordered to guard the neutral zone instead of joining the fight because of Picard's prior involvement with the Borg. They think he's been too close. They think he's going to be a liability. So guarding the neutral zone while a fight like this is taking place is basically like being told to stay behind and scrub the toilet. It's like uh, when you when you when you're playing football and you just uh, send your worst player long every play. You're like, you go deep every play. <laughs> yeah, you just exactly. go deep. You go deep. Yeah, yeah. go deep. We, we'll get we'll get one to you one of these times. Yeah. You just go deep. I'll hit you when you're open. Yeah, I'll hit you. So I would say that next generation fans watching this movie for the first time would probably be shitting their pants at how cool this opening is with the Borg attacking. Like yeah. this is kind of everything that you'd want out of a next generation movie. So I think they just really nailed it with what they decided to do here. Cool. So Picard's monitoring the battle via audio signal, and he can hear the fleet getting their asses handed to them by a single Borg cube. Yeah. This is, this is how powerful they are. It's the entire Starfleet fleet against one cube. Like, right, okay. That's all the Borg send. They're like, all we need to do is send one. They probably have, I don't know, a million of them. Mm. So Picard breaks orders and heads to the battle, which is a pretty significant no-no. And Picard, right, yeah. Picard knows better than that. So this was a big deal, but you know, his friends are getting killed. Yeah, and like everyone on the crew was with him, which I really liked. You know, like even this is where I realized that, like, I do really like this this crew. Like, no offense to Spock or anything, but, like, when <laughs> when John Luke turns to Data and he's like, what do you think? And Data's like, let's fucking go get him. Like, he doesn't yeah. say that, but he's like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, Spock would never be like, let's do it. He would say, like, uh, we can't, but, may, you know, whatever. Right. He'd come up with something else. But Data's just like, hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> and so I was like, I like this crew. Yeah, Spock would definitely get in the way. Yeah. Now, this ends up being the right call as Enterprise is able to blow up the cube thanks to some intimate knowledge Picard has of the ship. But just before the cube exploded, we saw that a Borg sphere launched out of the cube towards Earth. The sphere opens up a portal in time that Enterprise follows them through. They pass through a time, this was cool, where Earth has been taken over by the Borg. So it's like, what if this plan worked and they can kind of see it happening? Then they fall out of that time portal and they find themselves in roughly 2063, which is about 300 years in the past. The sphere is firing at a small base on the surface, but Enterprise is able to blow up the sphere, then beam down to the surface to investigate. So what are your thoughts so far, Dean, with this movie? Oh, man. I thought this was really cool. Um, the whole traveling through the time portal, I thought was really cool because like you were saying, they were kind of like approaching the time portal and I think they weren't quite in it or they were just in it. And that's when they could see the change that had already happened, which was Earth being having having now like 9 million Borg on it or whatever they said. Like it was just, it was totally taken over uh, by the Borg. And so they're like, yeah, well, let's pursue them into the past because they they're like kind of in the time portal. So it's like, yeah, let's keep going. Let's pursue them into the past and stop this from happening. I just thought that was like really awesome to still see the effects and then be able to still travel through and, and, and stop them. Um, so yeah, time travel, I'm super pumped already. Um, I, I, like the fight at the beginning, like that, that whole battle in the, 
against the cube was just so so fantastic um picard having this like insider information and that's how they even defeated it he just like knew where to go and knew where to shoot even though everyone's like there's nothing there there's no major systems there awesome stuff like just just a great start to this movie um and i'm just like really excited Uh, always time travel just gets me really excited for like um you know, like uh, outcomes and like causes of things and why they happen and how to stop it. That stuff's really gets your brain going. It's really fun. So I was just excited to see where it was going to take me. Yeah. So what's going on here on this planet is in 14 hours from now, a ship called the Phoenix makes the first warp flight by humans. Now, this first warp flight gets noticed by a passing Vulcan ship And that sparks the Vulcans into making first contact with humans, and that changes the direction of Earth as a people, right? So they learn that they're not alone in the universe, and all of their pursuits change. It changes everything. Yes. So I will say also, this was very exciting because I didn't know that that, that's what this meant by first contact. Like, I've known the title of this movie for so long, right? but I thought it was like... I thought it was like first contact with a different alien species, like the first time we're going to meet a new species that's going to be on this show or whatever. Yeah. And so just to be like, oh, it was Earth's first contact with aliens that started the whole thing going. Very exciting. Yeah, it's a clever name, actually, for the movie. Yeah. Now, the ship, the Phoenix, has been damaged by the Borg attack, and that's what they were there trying to do. They're trying to stop first contact from ever happening. Now, the movie ends up playing out in two locations. It takes place on Earth at this base, basically with Riker, Geordi, Deanna, and Zephram Cochran. And it takes place on the Enterprise with the rest of the crew and the Borg, who beamed over to the ship before their sphere exploded and are now taking over the Enterprise. Now, normally, Dean, if you hear about a group of, you know, aliens beaming over to enterprise trying to take it over they would be easily stopped mm, yeah they just send a security team they get those fuckers out of here for uh, sure that's not the borg the borg mm. are so powerful that picard is treating this as a dire situation it's yeah. like he's like they're on the ship we're screwed like he yeah i really liked his um just like how alerted he was to the situation and how intense he was about every specific order he's giving. He's asking like, what exactly happened? What do you know? What temperature is it in there now? Like all these things that he needs to know to see exactly what's going on. And I I loved the intensity of it all. Yeah, for sure. It's one of the great um, like movie tropes or whatever when someone's like, oh yeah, we're sending security right there right now. And the other person says, no, don't send them at all. Shut the whole thing down. Like, shut the whole place off. Don't let them get out of there. Like, seal it off. Don't go to that area. I loved it. It just, like, makes you so, like, oh, shit. Like, okay, they're a big deal. You can't even send your security after them. Like, you are going to be completely dead if you just run into them. Uh, this is this is dangerous. This is exciting. Yeah. So, so, as someone, you know, not familiar with the Borg, was this believable for you in the movie? Like not knowing how oh, powerful yeah. they are, you you yeah. buy into the fact that there's a serious problem going on here. One hundred percent. Okay, and, and I think it's because the way you're saying it, Picard's selling it. Like, yeah, his intensity, and then like having that opening that he has history with them. His intensity in these moments, I was like, they're uh, the real deal. They're they're a big problem, and uh, yeah, I, I was buying right into it. Cool. So 
the crew weapons up and starts searching the ship for the Borg. One of my most favorite parts of this movie, it just all of a sudden feels like a horror movie. The score turns creepy. The atmosphere is tense. It's just oozing with terror. Uh, It was really, really well filmed. Um, Damn, I just, I loved this part. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was really good. They find the Borg and the Borg leave the crew alone because the Borg don't consider them as threats. Now, this is something that is a bit weird, you know, to buy into, but this has always been a thing. They don't care about you unless you're a threat or unless like they want, they want your technology or they want to add your uniqueness, you know, to their collective. So yeah, they just, (laughs) it's just funny seeing the crew standing there with Borg walking around. Nobody's doing anything. Yeah. And so like me trying to figure, you know, figure out the Borg for the first time, it made sense to me because if they are this like hive mind thing, this collective consciousness, and there are so many of them, they don't need to care. And like, and like each individual one of them isn't special or unique. So they don't need to care about anything else unless like just their mission, unless you get in the way, you know? So like if, if a couple yeah. of them die because you un- underestimated them, they don't care. They'll just turn everyone on you right after that. Like right after you're a threat, they'll turn everyone on you and they'll be able to handle you. So it made sense to me that they would be like not paying attention to you until you're a threat or until you're in the way. So if you're just kind of, you know, ran, you're just kind of hanging out or whatever in the, in the corridor, they're not going to bug you. Yeah, it seems like the hard part was them getting on the ship. And once yeah. they're there, they know how powerful they are. They're like, we've already yeah. we've already done what we need to do. We're here and we're going to take over. Nothing can stop yeah. us. Don't worry about like don't don't waste time. Let's just get this yeah, done. Time waste. Speed, yeah. you know, is of the essence. So Yeah, for sure. Picard has a good line here where he says, if you see a crew member that's been assimilated, don't hesitate to kill them because you'll be doing them a favor. So big line, and that gets paid off pretty quick as Picard sees an assimilated crewman and actually kills him. Yeah. So this this thing, this idea to just kill them right away, uh, this is something I had up, like I was having a problem with watching the movie because the movie opens with, you know, Picard being a Borg and not and, and not being one anymore. Right. So like. I didn't have the background of that episode and understanding what actually happened there. So I was like, why is he, why is he doing this? Like, he, you can't save them. How did you get saved? It comes together at the end. Obviously, they explain at the end what was going on there. And then I get it and it's all good. But definitely as it was going along, I was like, shit, like, what about you? You were saved. Maybe you can save them. So yeah, right. that, that was just my feelings as he was shooting, shooting people that were being assimilated. Yeah. Uh, he, we, we learned this later, but he carries a lot of hostility for the Borg. Also that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. So they've been able to get the attention of the Borg. And they have a quick fight. Crew members are killed. Data is taken. And Picard narrowly escapes. Uh, I like. I just want to say I like the fight because uh, they start shooting them and they're bla- with their blasters. They're blasting a couple away. I'm like, Borg ain't so bad. Yep. These, these Borgs are easy. Then some more Borgs come in, and they start shooting, and the blasters don't do anything at all. The phasers don't do anything at all, and it's because the Borgs adapt. 
They adapt to things so they can adapt to weapons. And because of the collective consciousness, now that now everybody's adapted. Exactly. So like you can only hit them with a bullet, a type of bullet, once or twice. Yeah. And then they'll be like, oh, I know how to protect that. That's danger. Boom. That's ineffective. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, it is very cool. So down on the planet, you have Zephram Cochran, who's doing some heavy drinking and feeling like a failure because he can't get his ship working. Uh, this whole, you know, part on Earth, this was the more boring aspect of the movie, but it is some really good character work for this Zephram guy. Like mm-hmm. he, He's very down on himself, but he has Jordy and Riker telling him how important he is. You know, he's, he's you're so important for the future. Um, you know, they tell him about first contact, they explain his purpose and why they need him to, to make this flight. Uh, Jordy tells him he went to a high school named after him, that he took classes based on his theories. There's a statue made in his honor. The Phoenix ends up in the Smithsonian. So they're telling him all this stuff, but Zephram's having a really hard time buying into this. Yeah. I, I, I like this a lot. Uh, he's he's got like imposter syndrome is I think what he's feeling here that like how could I be that I'm not that great how could this happen yeah how could I live up to this you know how can I how can I live up to this so he like hits the bottle even harder you know he's having a hard time with it um so I I did uh yeah I did appreciate this because if you are if he is a good like a good humble guy how could he believe this you know how could he just accept all this information and I did think it was pretty funny that like they're just telling him all this stuff about the future. I'm like, this. you're not supposed to do this. You're breaking time travel rules. You can't tell someone about their entire future. Um, so it was, it, was, it was some interesting stuff happening, even though, yeah, I'm with you. It was like more of the boring stuff that was on, on Earth, but there was some interesting stuff at play with the characters. Yeah, that's another interesting concept, which is with Enterprise there and how much they actually help, how much of this first contact is Zephram's doing? At this point, exactly. because I don't know. without Riker and Jordy, it seems like this guy wouldn't have even made the launch. So yeah. basically, Enterprise is altering history here by coming back to help. So, I mean, I get that the Borg initiated it, but, yeah, you know, I guess if Zephram keeps his mouth shut, everything will be fine. But it's no longer him who makes the flight. Like he makes the flight with Riker and Jordy yeah. sitting in the back seats. It's like, for sure, that's yeah. your new history. For sure. This is one of those like time yeah. travel loops where you're you kind of rack your brain. I was like, Wait, like what? what? Where are yeah. we? Where were? We, where are we at now? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why are we feeding him so much information about his future? Yeah, they were very happy to share just every little little thing about everything. It. And I think at one point, Jordy said like prefaced one of the things he said with like, "Oh, I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but I went to a high school named after you." I'm like, "That's the thing you shouldn't be telling him. You've told him so much other shit, yeah. and the thing you shouldn't be telling him is that there's a high school named after him." Say what you might about Spock, but he never would have done this. He would have dressed oh, up. No. He would have covered yeah. his ears up, he would have dressed up, yeah. and he would have helped in a very True. subtle way to make sure True. that this guy made the flight. True. Next gen, they're just like, "Yo, what's up, Zephram, my man? <laughs> you're the coolest guy out here because you're gonna make first contact." Yada, you signed yada, yada. my uniform. <laughs> yeah, I liked when they couldn't find him, and yeah. he was at the tree line, like right at the edge of the tree line, drinking, just out of yeah. sight in the trees. <laughs> Great. Only like one step in, so he was hidden. One he step didn't go into any the further trees. than he needed to, but yeah. he was like just out of sight, drinking in the trees. Yeah. That would have been my move. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. And then they just knocked him out and dragged him back. <laughs> yeah, they're like, come on, man. We have to we have to fix your ship for you and then fly it. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm not coming back. And they're like, all right, we'll knock you out and stick you in the chair. Yeah. Now, back on Enterprise, we catch up with a captured Data, and we meet the Borg Queen. It's just a, such an awesome character. I love how you see her head and spine being lowered down from above and then put into so a body. Cool. Pretty dark. How good did that look? Pretty, pretty dark, yeah. yeah. Pretty it, dark, looked awesome, great introduction for the character. Yeah, she tells Data, I am the Borg. And Data says, greetings. <laughs> I love Data. He's so good in this movie. Data's the best. Now, the queen, the Borg queen, was created for this movie so that the crew could have an individual character to interact with. Oh, cool. So previously, it had been them interacting with the collective. So there's a voice when you hear, like, we are the Borg, resistance is futile. You know, that's their voice. But, you know, just for more dramatic effect, and it definitely worked. They created the idea of this yeah. this queen. It's great. Another extremely cool aspect to this movie is with the queen being very interested in data. Um, this like machine wanting to be more like a man, more human. And ultimately what she wants is access codes from him, but also she wants him to join the Borg. She wants him to be a part of that. Yeah. So they start grafting a type of skin onto Data's body so he can start having the sensation of feeling. Now, this is a very, very neat idea because the Borg always start with an organic being and inject nanoprobes, which manifest into the mechanical systems. But here, they're starting with a completely mechanical system and trying to add the organic to it. So it's it's completely opposite of anything we've seen from them before. And it's a really neat idea to twist it like that. Yeah. And, and we've already had like a great scene with uh, Picard and Data uh, touching like the, the spaceship when they went down to Earth for a little bit. And, uh, you know, Picard was telling him like how, how that touch is really special to actually touch the thing. And then Data like did it and he's like explaining all like the the casing that's in the spaceship and all these like other details and he's like knowing this information doesn't give me any more attachment to it than i had before and so it's cool that now it's like okay he's getting the skin so like that that touch is something that he's being given here and he wants to be you know he's trying to understand being human wants to be human right so this is a really cool uh yeah really cool thing to add to to data yeah it was neat um i remember this always freaking me out when i saw it when i was younger it just looked so creepy and and scary yeah it looks weird yeah. But he he loves it. He loves the skin. Like yeah, they have sure. they have a good moment where uh, a Borg attacks him and like slices the skin so he feels the pain of what that would feel like. And yeah. then she's like, "Do you want me to take it off?" Or no, she's like, "Just peel it off. If you don't want the pain, peel it yeah. off." And he wouldn't, you know, even though it was so painful, just having the sensation yeah. was enough that he wanted to have it. Yeah. We get a great scene with Lily and Picard where it's obvious to the crew that they've lost control of the ship and the right call would be to abandon ship and set off the self-destruct. Picard gets very upset by this idea and he says no. He knows the Borg more intimately than they do and he won't sacrifice the ship. He says he won't take any more steps back. He'll make them pay for what they've done. So he's out 
you know, on this personal vendetta here, which is not what he should be doing. He's not looking out for the crew. Uh, this was yeah. a great performance by Patrick Stewart. I have never seen him more worked up than this. His anger actually made me feel uncomfortable. Yep. It ruled. The scene was awesome. He like screamed multiple times. Uh, it was really good, really believable. He like cra- broke like a piece of glass with a gun, um, just like smashed it. It was awesome. Like I- I'm with you. This this really uh, this is where the emotion is. You know, in the movie, you talked about these uh, these writers writing like these emotional stories. Like here's right where it is. It's like the the climax of it. He's been like saying all these things about the Borg leading up to this time. And he's just confronted with it finally about like, you hate them like personally, like this is a personal thing for you. And he just like admits to it, basically he just admits that it's a personal thing. And that's not going to change the way he's going to do things. Like he, yeah, he hates them so much. Um, it's, it was a really, really good scene. Yeah. Yeah. This is where Alfred Woodard really sticks out as Lily. Um, yeah. You know, just trying to understand what he's talking about. Like she's from earth, but she ends up getting stuck on the enterprise. So she's up right, there with yeah, them yeah. the whole time. And yeah, she just sees the hole, the hole in his uh, ideology here. And she can see he's out for blood and not thinking about surviving. Um, And she helps him come to terms with that. And it was just a really, really great scene. And he decides to make the right call to evacuate the ship. But yeah, I, what, what I what I really like in the scene is that she brings up like calls him Ahab or whatever and says like, you know, he's like in Moby Dick. He's just after his his whale. And then later in the scene, when he's starting to calm down a bit and knows that he's supposed to do the right thing, he like quotes the book. Yeah. And Lily's like, Lily's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, like Moby Dick. It's from Moby Dick. And she's like, oh, I've never read it. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. She just like brought up the story to throw in his face, but she's never actually read read any of it before. I thought it was funny. I also liked in like the peak of his anger when he does smash that display case. Like yes. it's the moment where someone is so upset and you don't know where it's going to go and you don't yeah. know if it's going to turn violent or not. And it turns violent and Picard smashes this display case of yeah. g- small gold starships. And they've kind of been yelling at each other back and forth. And we're waiting to see what her reaction is going to be. And she just very calmly says, (laughs) she says, you broke your little ships. (laughs) It was such a great line for her just to calmly say at that moment. And it, (laughs) I don't know, it just, it felt like that was kind of the turn in the conversation. She was able to kind of like be calm, Diffuse yeah. yeah, diffuse it, be calm about it. And then, you know, seemed like maybe he was open to hearing what he needed to hear after that. It was so tense. It was the peak attention. And then I just laughed. I laughed when she said, you broke your yeah. little ships. <laughs> I rewound it and watched it again because yeah, it was so good. funny. She just picks one up yeah. and looks at it and gives yeah. the line. It was good. <laughs> it was great. Uh, question for you, though, Dean. Um, yeah. Do you think this movie needed more locations? Because you basically oh, get three. Yeah. I'd say you get three. Yeah. I'd say you get Zephram's base on Earth. You get the Enterprise that hasn't been taken over by the Borg, and you get the Enterprise that has been taken over by the Borg, which obviously looks different. It looks like a Borg ship, but is that enough? Uh, I would have liked more. Uh, here's what I would have liked. I would have liked Earth to be a bit more interesting. Earth wasn't really that interesting of a location, so if Earth could have been a bit more interesting, that would have helped. Also, I kind of just like... like I know the Borg 
come onto the ship and they make the ship their own and that's cool in itself but even if there was just two ships up there you know even if it was just like that they were actually captured data and took him back to a different ship and then you know they the enterprise crew had to go to that ship to save data that would have just yeah included a few more locations and getting to different locations and things having it all be part of a ship uh, one ship was like like I wouldn't say it's confusing, but it was just like a little bit like, oh yeah, we're still in the Enterprise. We didn't actually do anything. We didn't go anywhere. So yeah, I would say it could use a little, a few more locations. Yeah, I think if the movie is a bit shorter, 15, 20 minutes shorter, I think these locations are okay. But yeah. I started to feel trapped on that ship. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, if we could have spent a bit of time on a Borg ship in one of the earlier scenes, if we could have spent, yeah. spent a bit more time there, or... You know, even if they made a couple additional Borg sets on the Enterprise, just a few more like different, interesting, cool locations to go to. uh, I think that also would have helped. But yeah, I think what we did get was just it was it wasn't quite enough. So Picard sets the Enterprise to self-destruct and the crew begin to evacuate. The Enterprise E is about to be destroyed. Picard says they barely got to know her but there's lots of letters left in the alphabet. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Picard takes one last look over the bridge and hears Data contacting him. So Picard stays behind to look for him. Picard finds Data with the Queen. She says Data can leave, but Data says he doesn't want to. He shuts down the self-destruct, then targets the Phoenix, which has launched, and fires three torpedoes at it. We watch as those torpedoes narrowly miss the ship and Data has deceived the Queen. Data smashes a coolant tank and the corrosive gas eats away at the Borg organic parts. It also eats away at his skin that's been grafted on. Data told the Queen resistance is futile before smashing the tank, which I think is just rude. Um, using their own line on her like that. (laughs) Uncalled for. Come on, Data. Picard purges the gas and finds Data, who says he's sorry she's dead. She brought him closer to humanity than he'd ever thought possible. And for 0.68 seconds, he was tempted to join her. And for an android, that's almost an eternity. That's a great line. Yeah. Yeah, we Tim, we skipped that like Data had sex in this movie and that was awesome. Well, did he have sex? I mean, she's trying to seduce 100%. him. 100%. You think he had sex with her? That's yes. amazing. Yes. That's amazing. And I loved it because I love Data. I love Data so much. And then in this movie, I was like, I didn't know that Data has sex. This is great. My number one guy got some in this movie. I was so happy for him. I like that he knew down to the second how long it had been <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. since he had last had sex. <laughs> amazing. It was a long time. It was over eight years. Yeah, it was over eight eight years. It was a long time. Over eight years. Yeah. Uh, Cool. I never never thought that they had sex. They kissed, but I didn't think they went all the way. They kissed, but then they cut. They kissed and cut. Like, she asked him about sex, and then they kissed. I think... I think they... Maybe he he got some of that skin in some other places, and then they had sex. That's what I think happened. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I'm going to leave it there. Okay. Uh, back on Earth, Zephram has returned from the warp test, and we see a Vulcan ship come down to make first contact. The Vulcan drops the Live Long and Prosper, 
and Zephram can't make his fingers do that. So he goes in for a handshake. It's weird. <laughs> Zephram then shares alcohol and music with the Vulcan. So weird. <laughs> this is the guy. This is the guy you made contact with on Earth. This guy's ridiculous. Even though the Vulcans don't show emotion, I I think the guy was liking it. I think he liked oh, okay, alcohol. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Picard and the crew recreate the time vortex and head back to the 24th century and the end. Uh, so there is a direct sequel to this movie, Dean, if you're interested. It, oh, what do you it, mean? It's an episode of Star Trek Enterprise called Regeneration. Ooh. And uh, I actually covered it with Jane Terry way back on episode 75. So anybody okay. who wants to listen to a follow-up, you can go check that out. But it's a very, very cool one-off episode where once Enterprise blows up the sphere, a significant piece crashes on Earth. And okay. some people find it and kind of unfreeze some Borg technology and uh, the you know great. resistance is futile starts coming yep, back great. into play. Really cool episode. I'm not a big Enterprise fan. Probably my least favorite of the bunch, but this okay. was a great standalone episode. This one really plays out like a horror, a horror show. It, oh, cool. It's really, cool. really well done. Very cool. So that's yeah. out there for anybody who maybe didn't know about it. I will check that out. I've definitely listened to that episode, but like not knowing anything about anything. Um, it's sometimes I don't like remember exactly what happened. So I'd be uh, excited to actually watch that um, episode and then uh, listen to the podcast again. Check it out. Regeneration. Cool. Right on. Did we miss anything with that movie, Dean? Um, miss anything with the movie. Um, we didn't really oh, talk I about, I just wanted to say, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just, I just want to say the data turn. I really liked because yeah. I was like upset. I was upset that data, you know, had, had now joined her side. I got it though, because throughout the movie, he was like liking the things that she was doing. So right. like, it was like, okay, yeah, he, he, he's turned. Um, so then when the three torpedoes were fired, I was just thinking, well, the ship's going to, I must go to warp speed before right. the torpedoes hit. And then as they're getting closer and it's not going to warp speed, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what's going to happen here? <laughs> so I like the narrow miss of the torpedoes. It really got me. Like, it really, it really tricked me. And then I was like, oh, Data, like, he did, he, he did that. He, he fired intentionally to miss them. And so then it's a good, it was a good turn there for the end. And uh, pretty good, like, end kind of fight thing with like that poisonous smoke stuff going on yeah uh, i thought that that was like i thought it was just a kind of a really neat ending of uh you know picard trying to keep himself out of the the gas the, out of the smoke um by just like kind of hanging on you kind of see that he's like a little bit ripped actually picard yeah. had some muscles in this movie mm -hmm. um but yeah i just so i just like this whole ending i thought the whole fight was great yeah uh diana like we didn't really talk about her she was yeah. in it you know, she had some scenes, but I don't. I don't think they used her very well. Um, yeah, she did get drunk that one scene. That was pretty funny. That was funny. That was yeah. That was a pretty good scene. She she said she had to take tequila shots to get anything out of uh, Zephyrin. Out of uh, Zephyrin. Yeah, and uh, and she's just like hammered after a few of them. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, Jordy didn't have his visor. I'm not sure where that went. Yeah, right. Yeah, Jordy didn't have his visor. Can he see now? Like. Well, it looks I like... I guess he can see with, like, the things that are in his eyes. Yeah, he's got, like, new eyeballs or something yeah. that he sees with. Yeah, but 
Right. Yeah. How, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't really explained. I don't think. No, I, it just not in this movie, like in this movie, he just didn't have a visor and he had these like eyeballs that could like zoom in and do stuff. Yeah. Cool. Cool looking eyeballs. There was no Guinan, Whoopi Goldberg's character. Yeah. Which I'm right, not no really Guinan, a fan yeah. of her character, but they, in the last movie, they built up this backstory that the Borg destroyed her planet. And then the next movie is about the Borg. It just seemed weird that they right. wouldn't include her in that. You True. Very true. Where is she? But I don't know. You know, looking at what they did with this movie, I don't know where she fits in this movie. So I'm okay that yeah. they didn't have her in it, but it just seemed a bit weird to like toss her yeah. away like that. Like she's probably offended. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, and um, just the when when things start coming together for me at the end is when the the Borg Queen's kind of explaining to uh, Picard, you know, why they wanted him, why they wanted him to to assimilate before, why they tried to turn him into a Borg, and why he was able to like come back from it. And it's because they didn't like assimilate him all the way. They wanted to keep his humanity and like right. keep his his brain or something because they wanted this like in between this like hybrid of like human Borg. So that's why he was able to come back from it. So then I was like, oh, okay. That's why he's also going around shooting these crew members that are being assimilated because it's not the type where they're going to be able to come back from it. Yeah. Uh, in Voyager, they do bring a Borg all the way back, like from being oh, okay. a full on okay. Borg. So okay, wow. uh, that's seven of nine. They do a lot of interesting oh, storylines okay. with her. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Voyager is he- has heavy Borg influence because their ship is actually stuck in the Delta Quadrant, like the region that the oh, Borg are interesting. in. Okay. So they often yeah. encounter yeah. them. And there's huge narratives throughout that series with the Borg. So cool. All right. Well, what we like to do with this uh, Star Trek series, Dean, is rate the movies. So uh, why don't I go first? I will give you my rating of the movies that we've covered so far. At number eight, I have The Undiscovered Country. At number seven, I have The Search for Spock. At number six, I have The Final Frontier. At number five, I have Generations. Now, this is the tough one. I have First Contact here, and I'm trying to decide if it belongs here or not. I've been having an inner conflict about this today. I'm going to leave First Contact here, number four. Then I've got The Voyage Home at number three, The Wrath of Khan at number two, and The Motion Picture at number one. The Voyage Home wins out for nostalgia. That's what gets it the number three spot. Yeah. Uh, we have a very similar list, Tim. Um, at eight, I have The Search for Spock. At seven, I have The Final Frontier. At six, I have The Undiscovered Country. Five generations. Same as you, Tim. I got the same conflict going on between three and four here. And uh, what I, the conclusion I came to was that I wanted to give the edge to the voyage home and I haven't watched that in like two years. So if it's still ringing in my head after two years and I want to give it the edge and first contact I just watched and it's still kind of losing out in my head, I'm going to give voyage home the edge. So first contact number four, voyage home number three, Rathacon number two, the motion picture number one. Uh, Very similar. Yeah. Uh, often our lists are not 
all that yeah. similar. <laughs> we lined up. We line up on the track. Even like where we're different, it's still the same bottom three. Basically, you, know, you yeah. just kind of mix them around a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that bottom three, you could fuck. You could mix them up as much as you want. Like I could, I, I could yeah, easily rewatch. All, yeah. I could easily rewatch all three of those and like shift shift them. You know, but yeah, that's for just sure, where I'm at sure. right now. Yeah, definitely. But uh, cool. Right on. Well, I uh, can't tell you exactly when we'll do the next one, but there's a few left to do, and we will get to them. Yeah, and I'm like like I was for this one. I'm excited every time we do one. Uh, I just love love jumping into these crews, especially like I yeah I didn't think that I'd like this crew so much. So I'm very excited for these movies. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you everybody for listening. If you'd like to help support us here at Talking Back. You could consider just telling your friends about uh, Talking Back. Share an episode with them. Share an episode with your mom. She might like it. Uh, You can rate and review us on a podcast app. That also helps people find us. You can leave a one-time donation of any amount at buymeacoffee.com. Or you can sign up to be a patron and gain access to exclusive episodes over at patreon.com. And now that this episode's over, don't worry Head on over to BFOPnetwork.com and check out one of the other amazing nostalgia-based podcasts in our network. We promise you'll find something you like or Dean is willing to be assimilated by the Borg. It's true. I am. Dean, thanks for joining. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.